This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Ooh-wee! Welcome to a One Bills Live Tuesday edition. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker here with you as always. And we are hunkering down. There are no warnings. There are no advisories. <laughs> but we're already preparing for what is being described as an, a potential ice storm. About 36 talk. hours from now. It's about time to start talking Jay into letting us do the show from home tomorrow. Well, I already laid the groundwork. Right, did there. you? We'll see. All right, I'll pile on later, like I didn't know. But they're, they're forecasting like an inch of ice here in western New York. You stay home, bro. And that is, and the wind that is, is a prime recipe for, down, you know, for power lines going out. Yes, but, and the wind is howling right now outside. Yeah. It's like blowing hard, and it's Yeah, the cold. front's coming through. And it's, yeah, it's coming through. That's what's supposed to bring the, the rain. The, the rain the first, freezes. and then yeah, overnight. Wow. Wednesday night into Awful. Thursday, I guess, is when all of this is supposed to go down. Ew. We'll see if and when it happens. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's what you have to look forward to here in late February. We've well, kind of we've kind of had it pretty easy, to be frank. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, outside of the two, outside of those two blizzards, you know, <laughs> they dropped six six feet of snow and three feet of snow. Outside or, of the two generational storms we've yeah, already had. It's been easy. It's been easy, it's been easy it's sailing over here. Cakewalk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, as far as uh, NFL news goes, the franchise and transition tags have been released by position. Today is the first day you can make use of a franchise tag as a club if you choose to do so. And the general consensus, Steve, is Giants are probably going to use it on Daniel Jones. They remain far apart on an agreeable number for average annual value of a new contract. Daniel Jones wants like $45 million a year. Steve, I I don't know about you. The guy, if I told you, if I asked you, how many touchdown passes do you think Daniel Jones threw last year? Do you know his stats off the top of your head? I do not. How many touchdown passes do you think he threw last season? Daniel Jones. I'll give you a range. 22 to 27. Okay. And what do you feel would be worth, production-wise, in terms of passing touchdowns, would be worthy of $45 million a year. In the neighborhood of 40. 40 touchdowns yeah. a season. Yeah. yeah. Daniel Jones threw 15 touchdown <laughs> passes last year. Come on, bro. How many did he run for? Seven. So 20, yeah. Bottom end of the, yeah. Uh, $45 million a year for a 15 passing touchdown season? No. They're out, you're out of your mind. Yeah, you're out of your mind. I don't blame Joe and, Shane for wanting to put the franchise tag on him at $32 million. And you know what else? He's changing agencies. Yeah. Like, like it's his agent's fault. Oh, yeah. Get, you, you guys aren't trying hard enough for me. Trying hard enough for you? How about you throw a few more touchdown <laughs> passes than 15 in 17 games? Uh, Holy mackerel, man. Come on. Was he is he like saying like I'm as good as Josh Allen kind of thing or cuz he you know they used him a lot like Dayball used Josh here. They turned him they turned him loose with the running game. They used that his athleticism to his right. advantage. Now he can't run like Josh, the, but the offense did admittedly run through Saquon Barkley a majority of the time, so I'll give him that. Sure. But even in the the highest rushing offenses in football, like the Titans or the Colts, 
you know, when Phillip Rivers was there with Jonathan Taylor, they still threw more than 15 touchdown passes. Right. Come on now with that. Yeah, that's... $45 million a year off a 15-touchdown pass season? I don't know if I've ever heard anything more ludicrous. How about this, though? What are we going to do when somebody gives it to him? What are we going to do? Nobody is paying him $45 million a year. Well, you there know. is no way in hell that that is happening. You say no that. No way. You say that, but I don't know. I, like, you know. He, so here's the thing. I, mean, I get it. Josh Allen not, gets paid. Now, granted, this is a contract that's two years in the rearview mirror. $43 million a year on average. Okay? Right. This was signed in 2020, right before the season. Right. Or, sorry, 2021, right before the season. Josh Allen ran for about 700 yards last year and I think had six or seven rushing touchdowns. And he also threw for almost 4,500 yards and had something like 30-something touchdown passes. I mean, the only thing that Daniel Jones comes close to Josh Allen in is rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. You ain't got it on the passing end, bro. You're not getting $45 million a year. I'd... I'd really, and maybe that's, he is, he's changing agencies. How do you walk in there as an agency? And I know you got to go to bat for your guy when you're sitting across the desk from the GM and whoever else is in that meeting. And you're going, listen, we, we feel, you've got to, because here's how these things work. The, your guy goes in there, your agent goes in there, he says, here's what we're thinking. Here's what he did. Here's what, he's, here's what he did. Here's what he did. Here's what he did. Here's what he did. Here's how you used him. Here's what he did. Here's what nobody else is doing. Here's our guy. Here's compared to this guy over here and compared to that guy over there. And our guy's better than those two guys, and they're making this, and we're doing – and that you, you justify a number, and you say, this is what we're worth because of this, 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 and this. No. And you lay out a, a myriad of reasons. And the owner – or the the GM says, well, here's the problem. You didn't do the A, B, C, and D. So that here's what we think you're worth. And they're, you know, usually they're, they lowball you, you highball them, right? I mean, that's the way it works. And you kind of say, okay, you kind of get where they're at and what they think of you, really. I don't know how anybody goes in and says $45 million a year for my boy Daniel Jones and with a straight face. And I don't know how you, you justify that ask. Yeah, but all – all the all Joe Shane has to do is say, Daniel, we love what you're doing. We'd like to continue to help you progress in your career, and we'd like you to remain our starting quarterback. But we'd like it to be at the franchise tag number of thirty-two million a year. You think you owe? You think you should be paid forty-five million a year? And I will just tell you this: here are Josh Allen's numbers from last season. While you stack up comparable comparatively on the rushing end of things, even though Josh had more rushing yards, you guys both had seven rushing touchdowns. Congrats on mirroring his stats in that area. But in the passing game, you fall woefully short. You have 15 touchdown passes to Josh Allen's 35. You have barely 3,000 passing yards to Josh Allen's 4,200. And Josh Allen played one less game than you. Mm. So... I've seen Josh Allen, I've worked with Josh Allen, and you, my friend, are no Josh Allen. So I am not paying you $45 million a year. You're no Josh Allen. You'll get $32 million 
or you can try your hand somewhere else. Now, if I'm, I mean, how can he justify? Uh, let, me, let me play this now. If you're if you're Daniel Jones, and you know what it's been like in New York, and you know that. I don't know. I don't know what you know if you're Daniel Jones in New York, except for this. Maybe it's this, Brownie, and see what you think of this. So Daniel Jones is sitting there. He's going, you know what? The only way to hit a home run financially is to get to free agency. So I'm going to try it. I'm going to, I'm going to put myself out of their market. Right. I'm going to force them to franchise me. I'll play on it. If I play well, I play well. I'm still going to make it. But I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to get to free agency somehow, some way. And I'm just going to do what it takes. And that means not coming to terms with the Giants on a long-term deal. And I don't know that the Giants want to do that anyway. Right. Like, are you completely sold that Daniel Jones is going to continue to progress and maybe throw 20 touchdown passes this year? I mean, good Lord. Yeah. I mean, what's he going to do? Hey, even like, if he I realize up, there's wait, nowhere to go but up. Makes, if he makes – 100% improvement, he's okay. That's an okay year. That's 30. Yeah. Thir- that's what Josh threw for this year. He threw 35. Right. It's not even – if you double it, it's not even to where the top guys are. Throwing it – It's a, by the way, it's a throwing league, and Saquon may or may not be a giant next year. Right. There I are, mean, what, The general know. consensus in New York is that Joe Shane wants both of those players back. And the hope is they can come to some short-term agreement with Jones and then franchise Barkley because the running back franchise tag's only $10 million. This reminds me of a comparison. Josh Allen running down, hurdling guys. Like in Denver in 2020 when he runs like a 24-yarder and snakes through the entire defense untouched for a touchdown. On the other hand, Daniel Jones breaks one, snaps one off for 80, and stumbles on the 15-yard line. Got a little out over and his fall, skis. And fall. And just, a little out over his skis. And, and just Face fall. plants, yeah. That's the difference right there. Right? You got Josh Allen hurtling Pro Bowl linebackers and Daniel Jones tackling himself on a breakaway. Not so, $45 million. Either. Yeah. It's just no way. Uh, no. I'm very curious where I, the number I, ends up, but I think, it's just no. I think Joe Shane is probably going to franchise him, keep him for next year. See what he, see what improvements he can make in year two with Dable, that's and the, then to me it's either fish or cut bait at yeah, that point. That's to me that's the move. Keep him for a year. You get a highly motivated Daniel Jones. You get a Daniel Jones that's in his second year in the system. You get Brian Dable with another year under his belt, and even so, you draft a guy. I don't care. Yeah, I mean at best he's the third best quarterback in the division, and the only reason he's third is because Sam Howell hasn't started a game yet for Washington. <laughs> I mean, you got Prescott and Hurst in that I, division. I told you that. I was like, who the, who's Sam Howell? Yeah. What, what? Right? Um, so he's, he's third best, maybe fourth, if Sam Howell pans out. Right. Who, like, is that Thurston Howell's son? Thurston Howell the third? No, but he was a third-round pick. Was he? Okay. <laughs> Thurston Howell the third-round pick. Okay. So with Thurston Howell comes wow, out and knocks an island reference right? today. How about that? If Thurston Howell the third round comes out, and plays better. Daniel Jones is the fourth best quarterback in that division. Yeah. That's why you can't pay you're going to pay the guy who isn't even one of the top 2 guys in your division 45 <laughs> million a year. It's just it's insanity. I, I, I can't even believe people were people like as soon as 
if you're if you're a reporter and you're let's just say you're calling up his agent like oh yeah what's the neighborhood of what you're looking for and he says 45 million i mean i'd i'd laugh him off the phone i wouldn't even laugh i'd just hang it up and be quiet i I wouldn't even relate that to anybody i don't know how i don't know that if i'm daniel jones i want my agency to even make that public i I don't know how anything could make less financial sense on the free agent football landscape well it's it's insanity the deshaun watson deal is pretty stupid well, yeah, that's true. I mean, we, I mean, these, the, and you know who's thanking, <laughs> you know who's sarcastically thanking the Cleveland Browns, the Baltimore Ravens, because supposedly Lamar Jackson wants his new contract fully guaranteed, mm-hmm. and the reason he has a leg to stand on for that is because a guy with a sordid, off the field set of accusations. And civil suits oh. that are longer than your arm ugly. got a fully guaranteed contract in the amount of $230 million. And so because Deshaun Watson got a contract like that from Cleveland, which is pure lunacy, right? Lamar Jackson says, well, holy cat, yeah. they backed up the Brinks truck for that guy? I, last I checked, he hasn't been an MVP in this league, but I have. What are we right. doing? That's exactly right. Um, although, I mean, the, the and the Ravens, they're a well-run organization. They're, you know, it's, it's really hard to throw darts at what the Ravens do on and off the field. They're doing it the right way. They're, they got some work to do with this thing, though. I mean, it's it maybe get pretty yeah, sticky. Absolutely. Or they have zero work to do. Let it play out. Franchise him. Keep franchising him. And go the Kirk Cousins route of the Commanders. Yeah. And then I think it's careening towards a franchise tag for him. Sure, for sure. of course it is. It's going to be a franchise tag. He's and not going to be. Happy. Maybe it's maybe it'll be a, a unrestricted or restricted franchise. Now that's a guy who should get forty five million, probably more. You can you make think that. that Kyler Murray's average annual value is forty six point one. He's better than that guy. Well, that's another that's another franchise. That's, the other owners are going. What are you What are you doing? Yeah, you're driving up the market you're, value. You're, you, you just prematurely. Paid, you just paid a guy who hasn't done anything. Hasn't won a playoff. Hasn't hasn't been to the playoffs. No, they got to the playoffs. They didn't win. Hasn't won a playoff game. The highlight of his career was a Chuck and Duck prayer that was answered against the Buffalo Bills in 2020. That's the highlight of his career, and it was two years ago. And they're paying him all of that money. I mean, some of these franchises just lose it. Yeah, they don't get it. And so you get these other guys that are trying to do it the right way and, you know, build a roster and do it, the, you know, and they're just, they're, you know, they're looking at these guys going, and, and Lamar's got a beef. Lamar's got a beef, right? Because well, he has, on what he, else has, happened he has been an MVP in the National Football League and his contract's up and he's what, 25, 26? 25, I think. Goodness gracious. He should be, he should be, you know. Barry Bonds in that thing out center field, man. <sighs> home run. Should be a home run. But, you know, the club's too smart to do it. I would, I would tag him if things are not going well right now. I would tag him and then say, look, Lamar, we feel you're worth more than $32 million a year to us. I'm sorry we haven't gotten anything done on a long-term basis, but we're tagging you now to buy time in the hope that both sides can come to an agreement on fair market value. 
we believe it's north of 32 million, much like we're sure you do. But let's see if we can get to the same place or some kind of common ground and iron this out. This is one of the things, too, where a lot of people outside, and some people have, have experienced this, but it, it's a weird business where you have to negotiate your contract with some guys who you work for and work with very closely. And it's a difficult line to walk, but it really speaks to how honest and open the communication has to be. Like, you know, all these guys the, here in this building, they seem to handle it the right way. You've got, you've got a lot of, a handful of instances and examples of guys saying, now this is where I wanted to be, and the club gave me what they knew I was worth or, you know, a fair value. I could have hit a home run in free agency, like Taron Johnson, Matt Milano, all these guys. You could have gone down the list. And they said, no, I, I want to stay here. And the club gave them a good contract, not a world-beating contract, but a life changer. And then you've got guys like Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips who did sign big deals, didn't go well, and now they're back because they see the culture and the, the honesty and the forthright. They said, listen, and that you can bet they're having this conversation with Jordan Poyer. Say, hey, bro, we love you. We do that, but here's the value, and, and we know you can get more than this probably on the free agent market. If you want, we'll let you go. We'll let you go. But this is where we're at. And that's where Baltimore is with – I'm sure they're having the conversation with Lamar. Say, Lamar, we, we, you know, we love you, but this is not going to make sense for us to do you a deal like Deshaun Watson. Other franchise tag candidates around the league, in addition to Lamar Jackson, Daniel Jones, and Saquon Barkley, are Geno Smith – Tony Pollard, Dallas running back, Dalton Schultz, Orlando Brown Jr., the tackle for the Chiefs, Jesse Bates, the safety for the Bengals, who was franchised last year, defensive tackle for Washington, uh, Deron Payne, and Raiders running back, Josh Jacobs. Question for you, Steve, because we've been talking about Daniel Jones potentially getting the franchise tag, as well as Lamar. How many quarterbacks in the history of of the franchise tag have played on the tag. How many different quarterbacks do you think since the tag came around have actually played out a season on the tag? There's only one I can think of, and it's Kirk Cousins. He's done it twice. He did right, it two did it years twice. in a row and then left for Minnesota. There, How many others do you think there are in the history of the franchise tag? Man, give me a number, total number, counting I cousins. I don't know. I think one, like cousins, one. I think it's just one. The answer is three. Is it th- three? Just three. Who are the other two? Dak Prescott. Oh yeah, that's right. And Drew Brees with the Chargers in two thousand five, before he bolted and signed with New Orleans. Maybe you have to. Your name has to start with a D. Daniel, Drew, and Dak. Oh, but Kurt did it. Okay. Yeah, Kurt. Kind of nixes that <laughs> theory, Steve. But there you but go. that's it's rare. It's, and Dak busted his leg in that season, right? Um, yeah, I think that's right. He was playing hurt. I think he, that's he right. got his tib fib. Yeah, Kirk busted Cousins did it twice. I remember that. That was big because he made. Well, you make one hundred twenty percent of what you made the year before when you've been tagged once. Right. He's he killed it. And then killed it with a free agent and then contract. Killed it in free agents, and that's these it was like guys. Three years, ninety-five million dollars, like six years ago. Daniel Jones is playing it right. I mean, you gotta, you gotta get to free agency if you want if you want to hit a financial home run. And if he is, 
in any way, shape, or form not a guy like Eli Manning who is, you know, once a giant, always a giant. No, no, it's only a giant. Unless you're that guy, get to free agency if you're a QB. Well, it, it just stands to reason you're better off with 32 teams in the pool for your services instead of just one. Yeah. So, yeah, I get it. But even if you go back and you look at Kirk Cousins' stats, like the year he got franchised in Washington, and my computer's spinning. I'm waiting for it to come up here. Um, he gets franchised his second-to-last year in Washington, 28 years old, after one season as a starter, okay? In one season as a starter in Washington, okay? Because I already told you what Daniel Jones' stats were. 15 touchdowns, seven picks, seven rushing touchdowns for a total of 22. Kirk Cousins, in his age 27 season, the year before he was franchised, he threw for 4,166 yards, completed 70% of his passes, 29 touchdowns, 11 picks. It's better. Demonstrably better. Double the touchdown total. I mean. And I don't know. I'm I, I just going to make this statement. That's a Kirk Cousins season right there. And he got franchised. He didn't get top of the market money. He got top 10 money. Like, just the fact that the Giants are willing to pay franchise tag money at quarterback. Daniel Jones should be doing backflips for that. I know. After that season. What's the number on a franchise quarterback? $32 million. That's too, he's, he's, for 15 touchdown passes. I'm going to keep saying it until people realize how ludicrous it is to be asking for 45 a year. He's going to be making more millions of dollars than he's throwing touchdown passes. He's going to be making like 1.4 million per touchdown pass. It's insanity. Something like that, it's right? Absolute insanity. <laughs> Come on, man. Do you want to know how many touchdown passes he threw the year before that? Oh, no. Ten. Do you want Dude, to many, he's, he got a chance to – how many to... touchdown passes he threw the year before that? Eleven. All In right. the last three years, he has one more touchdown pass than Josh had this past season. Combined. 36 touchdown passes in three seasons. Maybe free agency. You're going to pay him $32 million to stay. Oh, my God, I'm rolling the dice. Give me anybody. Well, you're only doing it one year. And I would tell him, I say, listen, all that stuff that you said oh. about, hey, we like you, but this is where we're at. We're going to franchise you and stuff. And I'll tell you what, right away, I'm starting to trade up in the draft and trying to get one of these guys. You cannot live like that. That's just... You can't live like the bill. We did it. You and I, we, through this, through the through 2000s, the through the drought, we lived like that. You, you try and paint these guys with a brush that will brighten them up. It's probably like the long-term contract that Fitz got. And you got. cling to it's how like the long-term contract that Fitz got here. And you but cling. At least Fitz was. That's up. right. And you cling to them because they're great guys. You're like, all right, like at least I can love the guy as a human being, even if he's a mediocre to fair quarterback, mm. right? And that's the, that's the world you live in. You just kind of make the best of it. He's a great guy. We love him. He's funny. Handles the media well. He's funny. His teammates love Who him. Who cares if he's funny? Right. Throw he's, a dang touchdown. Right, at least, pass. He, at least he's in. You know, at least he's entertaining on the mic. And you, you got to listen to him through the season, every <laughs> post game. 
You know, he's fun. Oh and every God. once in a while he does something cool. And you live like that. That's how you live. That's where the Giants are right now. They're living like that. They're grasping onto any positive thing from that position they can get. And right now, Daniel Jones took, and let's face it, Brownie, it's a big step forward. That was a big step forward. Yeah, getting to the playoffs, I understand. And I get it. Coaching can, does make a difference. We've seen it. And maybe we Brian know. Dayball is there telling him, hey, we've got more to give. He's got more to give us. Okay, man. And Joe Shane's going, all right, we'll give him another year. As good as Brian Dable is as a coach, and I think we all know that we think a lot of him around here, Daniel Jones still only threw 15 touchdown passes. I cannot get past it. That's less than a touchdown pass a game. How many did Josh throw his rookie year? How many touchdowns? His go. rookie year? Daniel Jones is his fourth year, man. Yeah, but it was the first year of Dayball. You know what I mean? Let's well, Josh missed five games also. So, I mean. Oh, in his rookie year in 2018. Yeah, he missed five games. I mean, it was. Daniel uh, Jones threw 24 touchdowns his rookie year in the league. He's thrown 36 in the next three. <laughs> that is insane. Josh threw for 10 touchdowns his rookie year. This is Daniel Jones' fourth season, though. Yeah. And to me, that's not a comparison. It's yeah, I'm just saying. And then let's Dable see. wasn't even there in 18. All right, let's see what he did in 19 okay, in then. 19. All right. All right. And then because that's, you know, because coaching does make a difference. And I know Bur these Dayball's no day he had 20. <laughs> Josh had 20 with only nine touchdowns. Okay. So yeah, just, and they were in the playoffs. I, I don't know if I could. I could it write, makes a difference. I don't know if I could write the word no in larger capital letters, bolder, bolder print, and bigger font on Daniel Jones. Just well, no. All right. Here's what I – all right. Let me just tell you about my – I have a close friend, a close personal friend who handled all my contracts with the Bills. I went in and talked to Bill Polian. Yeah. And he and Bill were very well acquainted. And my guy goes in and we pumped up the – this is my first contract after I, I went to the Pro Bowl. Yeah. And then my and my contract was up same year, and so it's my good timing right. So I my guy goes in. He goes, "Here's what we think," and he gives him the thing. And Bill goes, "He goes, okay, let me see." And he writes on. He goes, it, "Seriously, he writes a big fat with a black marker N O <laughs> and hands it back." <laughs> so that does happen. That's exactly what he did. He goes, "He goes, let me take there." Oh yeah, let me look at it. And he goes, "No," <laughs> and handed it back. I'm, Listen, I'm with Bill on this. I was one, like though. out of a 53 man Daniel roster Jones. after 50 after, on a 53 man roster. Yeah, I was 54. No, so you I, weren't. I was, you know. No, you weren't. So that and, but that's true. You you got to go in, and everybody does it. You highball them with, from your end, and they lowball you from theirs. But if you're, it's not about the number in that conversation. It's about what they think of you, and why. And that's where you start getting – because the varnish is off in those negotiations. The yeah. club says, listen, great, love you, great guy, great locker room, you're a great leader, but you can't throw the ball – you're not throwing the ball well enough. We need more out of the passing game. You're missing too many throws. It, whatever. And that's where – it's not about the numbers when you start these negotiations. It's about the conversation. If they, if they franchise him, what it says to me is they believe there are problems that go far beyond Daniel Jones. And, yes, their receiving core did have a good amount of injuries. 
I don't think there's any debating that. How much do they feel that stripped away from his production? They were a run-first offense. How much do they feel that stripped away from his production? But, Steve, I mean, even in the 70s, I mean, even in the late 70s, early 80s, guys threw for more than 15 touchdown passes in a season. Yes, they did. I mean, we're in an era now. 15 touchdown passes? I mean... It's yeah, that's, anemic. That's, that's, I think it's a little inexcusable. And, and I get it. They didn't have, you know, they didn't have A.J. Brown or Steph Diggs or, you know, okay. Jamar Chase over there in New York. Um, but nevertheless, and, and I guess Saquon Barkley gets, a, you know, gets, some th- gets some runs down close where maybe other teams would have, you know, thrown the, the yeah. red zone pass. But man, oh, man. Uh, you get more opportunities when you're more successful, and they just weren't successful enough to give Jones more opportunities down there. We were somewhat singularly focused there, but that was around the NFL, presented by Kaleida Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. Want to get the topic of discussion to you today, and that is the following. Which Bills rookie will have the biggest jump from year one to year two coming up here in 2023? There are some interesting choices that you have at your disposal. So you let us know at 803-0550, the local number to call, or toll-free 1-888-550-2550. Which Bills rookie will have the biggest jump from year one to year two this coming fall? Jump on the phones and let us know. We've got an open line for you there, 803-0550, or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. Steve and I take a break here, but your phone calls coming your way next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And topic of discussion today is pretty straightforward. Which Bills rookie will have the biggest jump from year one to year two this coming fall. There's some interesting choices there. You pick somebody you think is going to make dramatic improvements in their game entering year two here in the fall of 2023 from a draft class that saw a good number of them on the field and contributing in some capacity. 803-0550, the number to get on board, one 888 or on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. Steve, I wanted to pass this along to you. Uh, today on ESPN.com, on their NFL page, Matt Bowen, friend of the show, put together a list of top 50 free agents and their best team fit, as he sees it, in free agency. Now, a number of these players he has going back to the team for which they played this past season. Um, for example, like Josh Jacobs, he thinks his best fit is with the Raiders, where he gets a high volume of work. Bills fans are not going to be happy hearing this. Best fit for Tremaine Edmonds, the Detroit Lions. Matt Bowen says Detroit needs to add more difference makers on defense, and I see Edmonds as a prime fit at the second level of the Lions system. Okay. Yeah, and we I think a lot of teams feel that way about Tremaine. Scroll down to Jordan Poyer. <laughs> okay. This one's going to be even more difficult to stomach. Best team fit for Jordan Poyer, according to Matt Bowen, the New England Patriots. Poyer's multidimensional traits fit with Bill Belichick's scheme as a movable defensive player with deep field range. 
Veteran safety Devin McCourty is set to hit free agency, so there is a need there. Ooh. How about if we trade those guys? I think everybody off. would throw up if that happened. Oh, my gosh. Be uh, the last one for you, Odell Beckham Jr. is on this list. Bills fans aren't going to like this one either. Best team fit, according to Matt Bowen? With the Jets. The Dallas Cowboys. Oh. He says, both the Chiefs and yeah. Bills are also potential landing spots for Beckham, but we know that there is interest from Dallas, which has a real need to add a proven number two target opposite C.D. Lamb. And we don't. Um, right. So that's kind of what he has there. Some other interesting names. Juju Smith-Schuster, he says, his best fit is going back to Kansas City. Who wouldn't play with Patrick Mahomes if you're a receiver, right? right. Mike Gesicki was an interesting one. Best fit, Carolina Panthers. Why would that be, I wonder? Because I don't know. I... In Frank Reich's offense, Gesicki would serve as a vertical seam option who can stress opposing defenses as a three-level target. Yeah, who's going to throw him the ball? Sam That's, Darnold's That is the big it. if. There is one guy who is deemed a perfect fit for the Bills that I think you might be interested in. This is a guy that I had on my free agent list at the offensive line position. Ravens guard Ben Powers. Best fit, Buffalo Bills. The Bills have to be better on the interior of the offensive line, and Powers can fill that role at the left guard position with Roger Saffold entering free agency. I'll listen to that. 310-pounder plays his best football in close quarters, and he registered a run-block win rate of 78.8%, the second best among guards. And while he can get stressed on his edges in pass pro, Powers finished the 22 season with a pass-block win rate of 93.2%, which ranked 10th among all guards. He's a grinder. Uh, listen, I, you got to be down inside there. I mean, yeah, it's it's where the that's where the violence is. So I don't I don't hate yeah. that idea. I, no, not at all. I, you got to bring in quality guys, and uh, certainly you know he can run block after coming out of Baltimore. And there's going to be some. And I I would not have known Ben Powers' name because uh, just you know wrong conference, wrong division, wrong division, not wrong conference, and. Yeah, I, I mean, I liked it. They looked really good when they brought Saffold in and Kessenberry in last year, two starters from the number one seed offense in all the foot in in the AFC. In, yeah, in 2021, they brought them in here. Certainly, they were long in the tooth, but they weren't far from playing really, really good football. And um, and, and they helped the team. The you know finished 14 and four on the season, so it was it was a good move, and we were pretty excited about it, and carried through really well in the regular season, but. Powers is a name that I could get behind. Big, yeah. kind of a road grader guy. Question will obviously be cost, but, yeah. Young guy, too. I think he's only about 27, so uh, we'll have to see. We want to go to the tweet sheet now to get your thoughts on which Bills rookie you believe will have the biggest jump in production and progress, development, et cetera, from year one to year two. Tweet sheet, as always. Brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And we lead off with Thomas, who says, James Cook. He will get the majority of the snaps based on the roster as of now. He's obviously citing the fact that Devin Singletary is a free agent. In my opinion, he will play a bigger role in the passing game. Bills need to utilize his skill set as a receiver by spreading him out wide, creating matchup problems for defenses. And I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I'd love it if he 
if they'd use him a little bit more like the Saints use Alvin Kamara kind of thing. Um, I don't know that Cook is as fast as Kamara, but Kamara is really a wide receiver playing in the backfield to me. Uh, they hand it to him, obviously, as well. But he's got those that kind of skill set. Uh, and I think that's where most people envision Cook looking his best. And I think we were, a lot of people were really impatient to see a lot more of that this last year. But I got I keep going back to this, and we talk about James Cook and Kair Elam, um, and and not James Cook and uh, Shaquille, Khalil Shakir. Those two guys offensively, I, we were so impatient to see those guys play. We wanted to see more from them, see some good, better things. So it was. I, the club kept winning games, and albeit they blew some people out early on, and they kind of got closer as the season wore on, and and all of that. The the offense was clicking. As much as we hate to say it, they scored more points this year than they did last year in Brian Dayball's last year. It was hard for the Bills to start saying, "Okay, we're going to make some changes here," when they're scoring twenty eight points a game. Yeah, that's hard to do. They were number two in the league. So they're not, they weren't really going to start wholesale changing these rookies in there when guys who had proven it were still doing it, even with a new offensive coordinator. And, we're, but you know, whenever any of the least thing went wrong or if a win didn't feel like a win, you know what I'm saying? If a win didn't get style points that we wanted, we're like, man, they should be, you know, Cook and Shakir should be on the field. Well, it ain't going to happen when they're winning games and scoring a lot of points. That's just it. Right. So I, we were all impatient for it last year, and I knew when we put this question out, you were going to get a lot of this. James Cook and yeah. Shaquille, Sha- Khalil Shakir, all of these guys, these offensive guys, those two offensive guys were going to get a lot of play. Let's go to the phones at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. And batting leadoff today is Frank in Kenmore. What you got for us, Frank? You're on One Bills Live. Uh, good afternoon, fellas. Uh, enjoy the show. But I, a little bit taken by what you were saying about Saffle and Questenberry. Um, they came from the best uh, running back in football. And uh, as far as with the Buffalo Bills, Saffle was adequate at best. And Questenberry got beat worse than Brown when he had to fill in for Brown. Brown's got two cinder blocks for feet. And I just don't understand how you guys are comparing those linemen we have a terrible offensive line and it's proven i mean josh allen is running for his life every game and you guys just don't want to admit that we have poor draft picking and we need to do better in the draft and get some studs up there because i feel bad for josh allen you know our our, the buffalo bills identity is josh allen's improvisation and him you know doing whatever he can do our line has got awful and and you guys just don't want to admit it well i'll tell you this i'll tell you this frank i don't agree now they're not they're not the most dominant group of offensive line not at all. They are not what you'd want as a dominant offensive line no question and they could have played better and yeah, you're right about some of that but they're not the 32nd best team offensive line in the National Football League. They were middle of the pack by any metric. They weren't top 5. They weren't top 10. But they weren't bottom 5 or bottom 10 either. So they weren't horrific and they still scored 28 points a game. And you can say what you want about Josh running around. Some of that's Josh. Uh, And I get it. But, uh, yes, you're right. We all want the – and they're going to have to get more offensive linemen in because a lot of these guys are gone anyway. They were signing one-year deals and they're free agents and all that. So they're going to be rinsed 
through as an offensive line roster anyway. But it's easy to throw them down the garbage chute now that you're out of the playoffs. But they won a ton of games last year. You you don't want to say that, but you just want to look at our draft as a whole the last five years. It's been god-awful. And, I mean, when you look at that, that's – that's good for, for Brandon Bean and the scouting staff. It doesn't bode well, in my opinion. Well, look around the league and look at other teams and what their rookie classes and their draft classes are, and you'll find the Bills are about like everybody else. Uh, it's a, it, as much as we hate to admit it, it it's an absolute crapshoot um, when you draft these guys. Um, so the Bills, yeah, you'd love to see them hit on more guys. The team that you look at this last year that really did hit a home run – Unfortunately, it was the New York Jets. Seattle Seahawks had a good draft. And the Seattle Seahawks, there's two. Everybody else is like, eh. I mean, we're going to have Eric Edholm on uh, today. And the Jets got an A-plus in the Rook country. We're going to talk to him about an article. Well, it's easy when you have two top ten picks in the first round. Right. I mean, come on. Right. But here's the thing. We're going to have Eric Edholm on, and he did. He graded rookie contributions to every division. The Jets got an A minus or something like that. The Bills, the Jets, and the Dolphins all got C's or C minuses or C pluses. Um, it's just the way it is. And and whatever you say about the draft, you're right. There's only one word you can always say: you got to draft better. Everybody says it. Every team says it. You try and do better, but the problem is you get these guys in here, and all of a sudden they're just not as good as you thought they were or they're a different kind of person than you thought they were, or they don't work hard enough to be good. It's, you know, you or can, maybe they're on the decline, and they, you, know, you weren't anticipating that based on last year's play, but something changes, and they don't play as effectively. And right, Roger Saffold probably falls into that group. For free agents, that's true, but for the draft, there's just too many things you don't know. Yeah. But, but I, yeah, I Frank, you, I you, think you the, made a good point, Frank. No question line, about the it. The line is absolutely in need of upgrades. Just for the record, I didn't say it was fine. Um, you know, I think that Spencer Brown needs some competition to push him a little bit more. Deion Dawkins, he's a capable left tackle. Mitch Morse was your most consistent offensive lineman from the start to the end of the season Deion last year. Deion played, played a good. Ryan Bates um, is, is fine at guard, but I think this line could use a little bit of a shakeup in terms of additional competition, whether it's draft or free agency, in an effort to make it even better because there were still a handful of games where they just flat-out lost the battle at the line of scrimmage. And Coach McDermott would say it after every yeah. game. We didn't win the battle at the line of scrimmage. I'll say that, and before we go to break here, I'll say this too. Don't forget, this is exactly the spot they were in a year ago. And they made some, some big moves in free agency with bringing these guys in. And we were, well, they released Feliciano. They, they, they released Darrell Williams. They lost guys to free agency. Their contracts were up, and they had to rinse through the roster. Um, and I am confident that they're going to take another swing at it, kick at the can, and try and do better this year. Um. But that's what it's going to be. You're going to have two or three, maybe maybe four, brand new off. Probably not four, but at least a, two I or think three. There'll be four. Yeah, there'll be just two because or three. of the people that are going out the door. That's right. Greg you, Van Roten, you know, uh, Kessenberry, Kessenberry, Saffold. and Saffold. That's three right there. Bates, Bates is under contract. Butker, all yeah, those Butker's guys are free agents, right? And then you. So that's four others? right there. Right. So you're going to have just from a number standpoint. a lot of new names on this offensive line just just because you have to, because all these guys are going to be gone. So the you know, Bills fans are going to get what they want. They're going to get a revamped, revamped offensive line. But I want to remind you, this is where they were last year, too. They had a ton of guys yeah. that they got to re- had to replace and, or upgrade to, and they try and do that every single signing they get. 
They want to sign guys that are better. I than think the ones what they Bills fans want is a more earnest investment long term, and draft. that usually means draft picks sooner them. rather than yeah. later. Instead of these one-year rollovers, because it compromises the continuity of your offensive line as well. We got to take a break here, but more phone calls when we return. Chuck and Hamburg will lead us off in the next segment here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Want to get right back to the phones where we're asking you, which Bills rookie do you believe will have the biggest jump from year one to year two this fall? Leading us off this segment is Chuck in Hamburg. What do you got for us, Chuck? Hey, guys. How we doing? Good. Um, for having me on. Uh, I just think from a, a sheer numbers perspective, I think the guy that I'm watching is Terrell Bernard just because of how little his contributions were this past year. I mean, you're talking about a guy who had 11 total tackles and was a third-round pick. Um, so I just I, I have to believe that, you know, knowing the decision-makers that we have and putting faith in them, that they have a plan for this guy. I don't know if that's to go to more of like a base 4-3 and he becomes, you know, like your will um, or, you know, and, and takes snaps away from Taron Johnson. Maybe they have no plans at all on – even trying to re-sign Tremaine Edmonds, and he's going to be the fill-in. But I just I have to believe that in some way, shape, or form, this guy is going to see an increase in productivity just based off of where he was drafted and believing that they had to have a plan. And please hope to God that they were not drafting a special teamer in the third round right. last year. That, yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call, Chuck. You'd hate to say – I mean, certainly the guy's got athleticism and all that, but – a third-round pick for a guy who can't get on the field, that stings a little bit. Um, well, there are two pretty good players in front of him. I that's mean, true. you got you got a, two pro bowlers ahead of him. There's only two linebackers to play. And It's not like you play three. Right, and that, that does change things a little bit. Bernard got some snaps last year. He's a completely – we've talked about it a lot. Bernard is a completely different player than Tremaine Edmonds, and they play the same exact position. Bernard is totally instinctive, runs around, and he's small by NFL linebacker standards. You know, and Tremaine's just the opposite of that. He's this huge, long, condor-like thing, guy who is a little bit more rote in what he does. Kind of, He's not instinctive. He's by the book and technique-oriented. So there are two completely different types of player that play the exact same spot and one of them's completely gifted with traits, and the other guy is, a, is an instinctive guy who can run, who just sees it and runs to it and gets it. That's why they drafted him. Uh, I'm with you 100%, Chuck. Third-round draft pick just to play special teams, man, oh, man. I, and Brandon Bean won't like that either. Um, so it's a good call. He might be a guy who gets some snap, yeah. particularly depending on the, on the, in the future of – Tremaine Edmonds and how that works out. I know that at the end of the season, at least I've heard this, that Bernard was told he has to get bigger and stronger for next season. And we've seen this from young players. They're not strong enough to hold up at this level. They get into an NFL offseason conditioning program and they come back bigger and stronger. I remember when Fred Jackson did that coming out of NFL Europe. He wasn't strong to hold up to the rigors of a 16-game schedule. He came back. Some, it looked like he bought himself a new set of shoulders. Yeah. Um, 
Terrell Bernard is going to probably have to add 8 to 10 pounds of lean muscle mass to hold up a little bit better, and I think that would give him a bigger chance at competing right. for his starting linebacker job if, in fact, Tremaine Edmonds is not here. One of the, so yeah, and, and that's his offseason to-do list. It sounds simple, and that's why they measure and weigh these guys. The, game, the thing that makes football different, I say it all the time, the thing that makes football different is the physical toll it takes on guys every week and even in practice. Yeah. And they just got to be durable enough to hang in there for four months, four, five months of heavy physical contact. And guys who are lighter and wispier build tend to break down. Um, guys that are big and heavy and sturdy don't. It's just that simple. Yeah. Uh, certainly there are exceptions. But it's like Bill Parcell, what Bill Parcells said: if you keep drafting exceptions, all your team is going to do is you're just going to have a bunch of exceptions on your on your team. Yeah, and that's that's not where you want to be. We are up against it. Have to take a break here. But when we come back, we're going to begin hour number two with NFL.com's lead draft writer Eric Edholm, who will be joining us. He recently put out his draft grades for the 2022 draft class by teams. Where did the Bills fare in that grading system? We'll find out next. Eric Edholm, coming up in hour number two here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, welcome to hour number two here on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and pleased to be joined now by NFL.com's lead draft writer, Eric Edholm, who recently put out his draft grades for the 2022 draft class by team. Eric, how are we doing this afternoon? Okay, we're having trouble getting in touch with him? Okay. All right, we're having trouble hearing Eric, so we'll have our guys work on the technical side of things. But, Eric, good to see you. Sorry we can't hear you. Uh, We'll have the guys in the control room work on stuff and get right back to you as soon as we can here. Apologize for that. That appears to be on our end, so our apologies. Um, So we'll catch up with Eric as soon as we get that straightened out. In the meantime, we will go back to the phones where we have been asking you today which Bills rookie will have the biggest jump from year one to year two. Next up on the phones at 803-0550, where we have an open line for you, is Mark in Jersey City. What do you got for us, Mark? You're on One Bills Live. How are you doing, guys? Um, The Bills fan base needs to get out of their Bills box and look around the league. The Houston Texans has the highest paid offensive line group in football. You're going to tell me they were a great offensive line. Like, you saw Quentin Nelson getting manhandled last year. They took such a precipitous step back. And he's the highest paid, I think, guard in football. By it. They don't throw a lot of resources at the line because they know Josh is mobile. They try to fill guys in. You've got to find somewhere. Maybe they switch from the defensive line to the offensive line, put more resources there. But for a 13-3 and three team, I have, I'm a staunch Bills fan. I have never seen the fan base more irate and beside themselves in my life. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, I think to, I think uh, it's a byproduct of the expectations, though, Mark. I mean, everybody under the sun outside of Buffalo had the Bills as a Super Bowl favorite, and I think the fan base here took that and ran with it and expected that, and then when it didn't come to fruition, you know, we saw the repercussions that came out of it. And there's also, when you get to a point in the season like the Bills were with all the expectations and how well they did play and all the games they won, um, and when you don't, you know, achieve the, the ultimate prize, you start saying, okay, where do we have to get back? And you start, and, and it seems like sometimes you're, you're nitpicking a little bit of an offensive line that, you know, that helped them score more points than all but 30 teams in the league, uh, over th- better than 30 point teams in the league, and score more points than they did in the year before when they were really smoking hot, um, you know, did a lot of good things. You start looking for ways to improve, and, and you know, particularly in the offensive line this year with all those contracts and the situation that line is as a group, that's where it's going to be. You're going to have a bunch of new names up front in front of Josh Allen. Whether you like whether they played whether they were dominant this year or not, you're still going to have new names because the contracts are up. So it's just the nature of the beast, particularly in, in this day and age. You know, social media and people can exaggerate to make a point and or have, leave an opinion anywhere they want. Right. Um, it does seem like people are off their rocker about how poor the Bills played in this area or that area or whatever area when you know when you look around the league you're right they didn't play that bad in any area yeah what about a what about a rookie that's going to make a jump mark you have any names for us oh uh, yeah i just i just want to say that's today but tomorrow it's you know Brandon Beans the village idiot Wesley Fraser can't coach defense it's just one issue after the other i think those <laughs> fans need to relax Shakir and Elam uh Shakir just caught 10 passes during the regular season, caught five in the two postseason games. You just There's a smoothness and a relaxation to his game. He seems to just know where to sit down and where to carry his I, – I, I can just see him just going off. And then Elam, Elam found something. I don't know what it was. I think when Tyreek Hill tried to hit him with that double move and he was right there on his hip, and Hill – you can almost see Hill like, like, yo, this guy's still with me. I think he almost got an interception on that play, if I recall. And then his interception earlier in the game changed the game. Right, yeah, deep in Miami territory. The Bills. And they scored, I think it was the Davis touchdown, uh, a couple of plays after that. So I think those two guys, and if you have two number one corners, 1A, 1B, and then a a receiver that you don't need to go out and spend money. And I'll tell Bills fans this for a – you know how, like, they say chicks dig the long ball? Wide receivers dig the deep ball. There's going to be a wide receiver or two that says – I want to go play with Josh Allen. Why? Because that guy's going to take shots and give me chances. And that's how I get paid. Bills fans need to remember that for a positive. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of positives to go back and look at once you get past the pain of how the season ended. Um, and thanks for the call, Mark. You're right. And that's, um, that's something we all got to remember. Uh, I like your t- thoughts about Shakir. I, th- I like your thoughts about Shakir. He does seem to be a guy who – was in the right spot at the right time, caught the ball when they threw it to him, got a little something-something after the catch a lot of times. Um, even if he's not going to outrun the entire team to get to the end zone, he is going to get every yard that he earns. Um, and he's, he's got good vision with the ball in his hands. So I, I think I like the call about uh, Khalil Shakir and what he did at the end of the season, particularly in the playoffs. Yeah, I was, uh, I was surprised it took this long to get to Elam because I thought he really kind of – turned a quarter at the end of the season as well, playing much more confidently 
and watching him against the Dolphins in that wild card playoff game uh, in a game that was a very sloppy performance by a Bills team whose mental state was probably elsewhere so soon after the uh, DeMar Hamlin situation, uh, Elam played maybe his best game of the season. And I think he turned a corner, and I expect him to hit the ground running come next season. But speaking of rookies, we finally have made a connection with the guy we intended to speak with all along about this subject. It is um, Eric Edholm, NFL.com's lead draft writer, who recently put together a story on his draft grades for the 2022 draft class. Sorry we had a hiccup there, Eric, but glad to have you now. How are you doing? I'm doing well. No problems at all. Happy to be here. Give us a little lowdown on what you've you've looked at the AFC East and the rookies and the contributions. We're talking about which rookie for the Buffalo Bills might step up and have a bigger the biggest jump forward in their second year with the you know the the players that we're looking at as Bills rookies. And we just had a caller that thought it might be Khalil Shakir. Um, you gave the Bills like a I don't know was a C plus for the contribution so. that their rookies made. And I said it earlier in the show. Bills fans were a little impatient to see those guys, even though the Bills were winning games without a big contribution from them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Kyrie Elam's the delay of his uh, inclusion into the lineup and on a full-time basis probably held back the grade a little. You know, this grade, you know, while it reflects some potential, we I was really going off what we saw in year one. It's kind of an unfair process, right? We know how often players could take a huge jump year one to year two. Uh, James Cook would apply to that, I would think. You know, I want to see more of Terrell Bernard. You know, Shakir, obviously, they gave him a few more opportunities at the end of the season as well. So, yeah, I mean, the first four, you could you could argue, are all reasonable candidates. But because of the need of the position, the importance of the position at cornerback, you know, and just the the weapons in the AFC, I mean, certainly the the quarterbacks, but also the wide receivers, I would think Elam would be the the, the candidate you hope you know, obviously shows more of what we saw at the end of the year going forward. I think if it was the biggest, one of the bigger differences between the Bills and, you know, their AFC nemesis, which is the Chiefs, uh, the Chiefs did not hesitate to put rookies on the field this past season. Yep. And the Bills were kind of steady as we go here and reluctant to put their rookies on the field and give them large roles to play unless it was completely out of necessity, which was the case at the beginning of the year at the cornerback position with Dane Jackson getting nicked up early, Tredavious White not ready to come back from the ACL, and you had the Benford slash Elam rotation at corner. Um, But James Cook fumbles his first carry as a pro, and I thought that stunted the number of opportunities he was given through the first half of the season. Forget about the next game and the game after right. that. Uh, it really stunted the opportunities that he was handed. Meanwhile, you look at Kansas City, they can't get guys on the field fast enough. I understand Sky Moore had to kind of wait his turn with some veteran free agent additions in front of him on the pecking order. But the guys on the back end defensively, they're in the lineup week one, Jalen Watson, Josh Williams, you know, guys like this. Um, they played and played a lot. Yeah, they're, 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 it was interesting to note how, I guess, if you put those two teams together, obviously a lot of people came into the season thinking those were the two, you know, heavyweights in the AFC, if you will. And so it's, it is interesting to contrast their styles. I mean, Karlaftis, I think, started every game or yeah. close to it. Trent McDuffie when he was healthy, same thing. But those are first-round picks, as you pointed out. It's really the later guys. 
Isaiah Pacheco eventually getting a chance, but really the secondary guys being thrust in there pretty early. And thank, thank goodness for them. I mean, I think they have to look at it like, hey, we got a guy from Fayetteville State, Joshua Williams, and uh, experience uh, that, that proved valuable come playoff time and come Super Bowl time. And Jalen Watson, as you mentioned, too, Leo Chanel, uh, their, their linebacker, uh, uh, Chanel, I should say, uh, was also a big part of what they did yeah. down the stretch. So it could pay off. You know, it depends, you know, how many veterans are you willing to sit? How many, you know, people are you willing to share time with? I guess that that's, that's going to be a coaching decision and a roster construction uh, issue that comes up. Do the Bills get credit for Christian Benford starting on day one, or do they get, or does <laughs> Kyrie Elam get the blame? I mean, uh, certainly Benford outperformed a seventh round gra- or a sixth round draft grade. Yeah, I mean, do they get credit or blame for that? Well, I, I see how you're phrasing the question. I guess it, it's fair to say that there there could be a little bit of both there. But you know, anytime you play uh, find a player from the FCS level who, you know, even if it's out of uh, bare necessity to be able to start week one and, and hold up well and potentially project to safety. I mean, right. that's at least been, I think, discussed. So, right. you know, right there, that tells me pretty precocious kid from a, a little bit lower level of football, be it one that's produced a decent amount of NFL talent. So, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, you know, obviously look at uh, Devin McCourty, who started at corner as a rookie for the Patriots and eventually moved to safety. I'm not saying that's necessarily going to happen here, but um, you know, you can't think of a ton of examples of guys who are able to do that, start games as a rookie at corner, and then uh, eventually be transitioned to safety and be successful there, too. If that happens, that is an absolute home run pick. Uh, but hard not to be encouraged with the the small returns through year one. Right. And I'm not knocking your grade, Eric, when I say this, but you look at this class. <laughs> no, you look at this class yeah. and in year two. Things could change very dramatically depending on what they yes. do with their veteran free agents because the safety position is a gaping hole right now, not just because of Jordan Poyer, but because Jaquan Johnson is a free agent as well. Yep. Cam Lewis is a restricted free agent, and we don't know what the future for DeMar Hamlin holds uh, coming off of his cardiac situation. So Benford could be competing for a starting role uh, for all we know. Yep. That's just one position. If Edmonds isn't back, Bernard figures to be competing for a starting role. And then Elam, I think we're all anticipating, is starting at outside corner opposite Tredavious. And then with Devin Singletary, a free agent, we could be looking at James Cook as top of the running back depth chart as well. So from year one to year two, this draft class, in terms of contributions, could look dramatically different. You have three, maybe four starters. No question about it. And I've always said, I, I feel like the best drafting teams and the, the most savvy and patient and smart and, you know, have the longest vision, the, the front offices that do that. And I think the bills have to be in that group is not just looking at your immediate needs on April 27th or whatever, right? It's saying who are our 2024 free agents who are, you know, who are potential salary cap victims next year because of a, a high number or age increasing rapidly or, you know, declining production, you have to have that long-term vision when you draft, you know, sometimes people will say, why did you project, you know, a, a pass rusher? They have two of the best in the league. Well, they're both free agents next year or whatever, you know? And so I, I think you have to think like that. And there's no question. I'll be fascinated to see what, if anything, the bills do in, in free agency. I realized that uh, there, there are more are higher priorities with Josh and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, trying to keep some of the free agents you mentioned, but 
you know, if they add even lower price guys, more, a ton of bodies at linebacker, offensive guard, running back, well, then we might slow that that a little. If we don't, then we all of a sudden say, hey, why why can't uh, Khalil Shakir step up? Why can't Terrell Bernard do what he did at Baylor? And, you know, Cook can't be the, the lead guy like an Aaron Jones in Green Bay or something. And then Elam, obviously, at corner, I think he figures in no matter what. But, uh, yeah, I think it's absolutely. And that's what makes this exercise tough. And that's why I think about 29 of the 32 fan bases were upset with Mike Reigns. <laughs> right, uh, right, right. You can't make everybody happy, Eric. So as, you, so as we talk about the free agents and all the guys that have played well or may take a step forward for the Bills, you spent some time at the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, give us an idea, maybe some day one standouts that guys that maybe are off the radar of the average fan that you're thinking, man, these guys might have a shot at being somebody who – Everybody knows who's their name, what their name is. Yeah, it was it was a little bit of a different week. We, it was the first time in a few years we didn't have that kind of big name quarterback or multiple for that matter. Uh, it was a position that was a little bit watered down. You know, kind of a, a you know unfortunate series of events that happened. Will Levis backs out. Stetson Bennett backs out. So not the greatest uh, as far as that position goes, but there were certainly some other players that I thought really stood out. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of some who may apply. Oh, Cyrus Torrance was a, yeah. is a big run blocking guard who moved with Billy Napier to Florida, came from Louisiana. Of course, Louisiana was a big uh, offensive line uh, factory there for a couple of years under Billy. And uh, I thought he really held up well. You know, that's another position that theoretically you could see the Bills using, you know, first round pick questionable, maybe. But that's a player who I could see being a nice kind of addition to what they need. Um, you know, Keanu Benton defensive line, if we're talking, you know, a year or two down the road, as far as next year's for agents, things like that, you know, you have to consider like, you know, what if we're in the spot with Ed Oliver, right? I mean, there's the, the, you, you always want to have that reserves in place and Benton, the defensive tackle from Wisconsin, I thought did a really nice job down there. I knew about him. I'm only about an hour and a half from Madison. So I've, I've seen him in person too, but it almost felt like his kind of coming out party down there. Uh, some of the receivers really st- stood out and looked good. I know that's a position that that uh, Buffalo certainly could could stockpile a little bit at. And um, yeah, I mean those are uh, the running back T- Tajay Spears really looked nice down there, and some of the offensive tackles I thought did a good job as well. Yeah, one receiver that I've kind of had my eye on just because I think he fits the mold physically of what the Bills could be in the market for because it just seems like they've got a ton of slot guys and they might need somebody mm. that is versatile enough to go outside and inside. Uh, the SMU kid, is it Rasheed Rice? Is that how you say his first yes. name? What did you think of yep. him? A little bit of a quiet week. I came in really excited about him. He's got a little bit of a slender build. I would compare just physically speaking. I'm not saying he's the same player, but maybe like a DeAndre Hopkins type almost. Okay. So kind of long and lean, almost these spidery looking uh, uh, receiver. He's very fluid, very clean in his breaks. Didn't make any spectacular catches or, you know, torch defensive backs all week long. I was a little surprised that that he didn't show out more down there, but he did uh, – I wouldn't go as far as to say he had a bad week. It was just more of a very quiet week. So that happens sometimes. And I can't remember if he was out there for practice all three days or not. I don't have my notes in front of me, but, um, you know, certainly looked apart as far as how he moved on the field. You like to see how natural these receivers are, you know, obviously when things are going as close to full speed as possible, um, you know, he, I would put him among the the five or six 
sort of most complete receivers. He really took a step forward last year, I thought, too, not just with the volume of work he he produced, but also the added attention that came with it. He was their number one, and and they were going to throw him the ball 12 to 14 times a game, it felt like, and he still found a way to haul in a lot of those grabs. So I like the player a lot. I think he's probably a second rounder, if I had to guess right now, but a lot of that may also depend on what happens at the combine, too. You're like a lot of guys that uh, are trying to do, you know, you do the mock drafts just like everybody, and man, you talk about a roll of the dice trying to get it right. You've got the Bills, <laughs> like you, like a lot of other people, are telling the Bills to take this Bijan Robinson, the Texas running back. He's a junior coming out. He's big, big, fast, and like everybody, the Bills pick at number 27 in the first round. But everybody right. says Bijan Robinson's talent says he should go way higher. But because he's a running back, nobody values that spot like they used to. So he will be yep. there probably at 27. The Bills should take him. Tell us about him and why. Yeah, that's one of those picks where I get to that point of the first round and say, like you just said, top 10 prospect, roughly, you know, if you're just doing regardless of position, pure talent evaluation. He deserves to be in the conversation. I think he's special. I would put Jameer Gibbs not too far behind him, the Alabama via Georgia Tech running back. So, you know, the, then, it, then it comes down to the question is, would a team like the Bills, like the, you know, I mean, others sort of, you know, the Eagles have two first-round picks, other teams where you could say maybe it's a luxury selection in some regards, but, boy, it's hard to overlook that talent, especially if, if Singletary isn't in their long-term plan. So, yeah, I can get away with those picks in January, February, you know, <laughs> the later the season goes, people get a little more irritated, but it, it does bring up a fascinating debate. What happens when a player who you at a position you normally wouldn't take in round one falls that far? The it's almost a second round pick. Yeah. I mean, yeah. at that point, I think there's a, a realistic debate that could happen. Well, here's the debate. It, it comes down to Saquon Barkley, who was one of those generational talents, picked at number three by the Giants, and now here he is. Yep. Was that pick, in retrospect, do the Giants make that pick again? My gut says no, but right? I, 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 it's it's a soft no, I think, right? I mean, the way he played this year, I think, warranted, you know, that high of a pick. He was, he was terrific. I don't think they make the playoffs without him having the kind of season he did. Dale Jones, obviously, as well, too. But um, obviously, a lot of Buffalo connections there. I'm sure a lot of people were watching that team and realizing how big a role he played. And I do think the run game is starting to cycle back into the NFL. We're starting to see, you know, as defenses go smaller, more nickel and dime, Offenses are going to try to throw an extra tight end out there or unbalanced lines or just get bigger and, and try to pound the ball. Why wouldn't you, especially if you don't have that elite quarterback? So, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I kind of go back and forth on this one a little bit. Yeah. It's not a premium position, but could it be an important one in the right system? Sure. And Saquon, I, I, I just think two was very, very high. I'd have to go back and remind myself who was available, but um, they weren't up. They weren't unhappy with with how he played, and and he, his draft status didn't factor in with a new regime. I don't think. Eric, uh, last one from me. If you could handicap how you think the first round will play out, because all mm -hmm. everything we're hearing is the receiver class doesn't have quite as many of the alpha male receivers as pre the last couple of years have had. So I guess we're not really expecting the first round to be completely flooded with receivers as it's been, right. you know, the last couple of years. We know the tight end class is is unusually strong. We've seen as many That's as right. five uh, get listed in the top 50 prospects. And the tackle class looks pretty good at the top. 
So how do we, I guess the reason I'm asking this, Eric, is I'm curious what talent is going to get pushed down to the Bills at 27 with the way that round one might play out. Yeah, you're right. There may not be that one true difference maker, although I like Zay Flowers quite a bit at Boston College. I know people worry about the size, but I I think he's going to end up being a a really dynamic player. Quentin Johnson, I know there's some mixed reviews on, and Jordan Addison, the the size question will come up with him too, although if I look, he reminds me of Stefan Diggs in a lot of ways. But I think tackle is definitely a little stronger at the top. So I think there will be a receiver there who you would you, you would look at and say it wouldn't necessarily be a reach to take him at this spot. Then tight end, you kind of pivot to that spot and think, how many go above the Bills pick? Um, I think there's a chance that one, possibly two do. Yeah. If that happens, then you think, boy, are we really taking the third tight end in round one? Unusual year, yes, but I don't know. There's a there's a difference of opinion there. There really are four, I think, guys who could end up in in the in the first round picture. Picture the Notre Dame tight end, uh, tight end mayor, Luke Musgrave from Oregon State, athletically gifted, could run a high four fours in Indy. Darnell Washington, massive kid with incredible strength and, and great athleticism for the size, and Dalton Kincaid from Utah too. Who, you know, maybe he's Mark Andrews. So I mean, all four of those guys could end up in the first round. I don't think all four will, but all four have a chance. So is it tempting if, if only one goes off the board before that, and you're sitting there looking at Kincaid saying, this is our, our Dawson Knox insurance. And he can also play at the same time. Maybe I, I wouldn't be stunned. Eric, are you going to the combine in Indianapolis? I will for, for longer than I realized too. This is going to be like an eight day uh, journey oh, for me. Oh, wow. I'm not too far. I'm only about four hours down the road, but I'm, I'm staying through. This is my first year with <laughs> NFL media and, We'll be in the suites watching the workouts and stuff. I've never done that before. I've been to probably 15 of these things and I've never been behind the, the, the window, so to speak. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be kind of fun to, to get a firsthand view of of what the, what we've seen on TV for years. Well, we hope to cross paths with you. We'll be down there as well. Good luck, travel safe. And thanks for coming on with us today. Appreciate it. Pleasure's mine. Thank you both. All right. That's Eric at home, NFL.com lead draft writer joining us and kind of spelling out his thoughts on, the 2022 draft class for the Bills after a year in the books. We will take a break here when we come back. More of your phone calls and thoughts on the tweet sheet about who you think from that Bills 2022 draft class could have the biggest jump in production and play from year one to year two this fall. Back in a moment here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, back here on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Headed back to the tweet sheet as we've been asking you today, which Bills rookie do you believe will have the biggest jump in development and production on the field from year one to year two? Steve says on the tweet sheet, since you use the word jump, I would have to say it's Shakir. Cook, Elam, and Benford were utilized a lot more than Shakir. It's unfortunate because according to a stat I saw the other day, He was open more than any other rookie receiver against man coverage. Yeah, and, you know, one of our callers earlier, I think it was Mark, pointed out that his workload increased in week 18 and in the two playoff games, and he made plays. I distinctly remember a big third down play down the middle of the field. He set up the touchdown, too, with the corner route that got got pushed out of bounds just outside the five-yard line. Yeah, set up first and goal at the four. Set up first and goal. 
Um, I, I agree, touchdown. and I get or it too. Beasley touchdown. We all, we've all seen, you know, football fans will know you got these guys that you think, you know, wherever it is, they just seem to slide into the day. Cole Beasley's like that, and Khalil Shakir seems to be one of those guys where he just turns up right where you need him to be. He has, without turning around and looking at the defenders, he finds the dead area um, and seems more open. And not for nothing, in this year that we passed, the two things that we talk about all the time are the drop passes and the interceptions none of that stuff seemed to affect Shakir he seemed not to drop passes and when they were thrown to him there was I don't remember it ever being intercepted uh, maybe it happened that. early he just seems like one of those guys that's incredibly dependable he may not be an like a game-breaking speed athlete unbelievable matchup problem but the guy is productive and you know it's just says a lot about where he came in his first year. I'm, I'm with you. I think the guy's mature. I think Josh will trust him more and more as he gets more reps with him on the field. And yeah, late last season, I, I think he was a dependable pro, and that says a lot. Yeah. He's kind of got that chill California attitude, like nothing gets him bent out of shape too easily. Yeah. Um, and he has a route savvy to his game, as Steve said, that I think is wise beyond his years. So, yeah, I think he is a very good candidate. For a big jump in year two. Tiffany on the tweet sheet says, in my opinion, Benford has a chance to potentially move to safety and have the opportunity to play significant snaps, especially with the possibility of Poyer moving on in free agency. Now, I don't think that Benford is going to be the only option at safety for the Bills come training camp because, as is usually the case, the Bills don't put all their eggs in one basket especially if, in fact, the Bills are forced to replace a player the caliber of Poyer. Um, right. So a veteran or two are probably coming in. But as we stated on the show yesterday, much like the offensive line is going to turn over just from a sheer numbers standpoint, so too is the safety position because Poyer, Jaquan Johnson, Dean Marlowe are all unrestricted free agents. Cam Lewis is a restricted free agent, and we don't know what the future of DeMar Hamlin is at this moment. That's five guys out of your six at the safety position who are unknowns right now. Right. It's Benford and Hyde. And that's if Benford makes the full-time switch from corner to safety, well, which is still an if as well. Well, he may have no choice. If, he if might not. But, but, yes. Yeah, so from a sheer numbers standpoint, that position is going to be heavily addressed this offseason, much like offensive line because of contract stats. You think this, though, and, and also, the Bills do have a little bit of you know, positive vibe coming out about where their team is, their championship window, the track record of guys who have played safety, albeit mostly Poyer and Hyde. The fact that they've got five guys coming off the roster from a year ago will make this a really attractive landing spot for a safety that has maybe a little name cachet. Uh, guys who are out there, they may say, listen, I can take that spot and I can ride those guys to a Super, you know, Super Bowl as well. Give me a chance. This is a really attractive spot to come in and land because it's wide open. You've got a rookie corner as your top safety competition. Guys will want to come in and see if they can get on the field. Uh, certainly guys are going to be highly motivated to do that. So that's one benefit that the Bills may reap from having their roster gutted by contracts and injuries and all the things that have happened to the safety position for them. Elsewhere on the tweet sheet, Jeremy says, I think Shakir at this moment, this will be dependent on the draft and free agency, of course. He showed decent flashes. When given the opportunity, if Josh quits the hero ball, I think Shakir <laughs> will shine. 
Do we have? Should we, we should have a running total of hero ball, hero ball comments. He did fall victim to it again last year. I don't think there's a question about that. Yeah, I'd, he I'd did be make his share of plays. Oh yeah, he always I, will. But I think when we saw the success that Mahomes had going to a more short to intermediate passing game, his completion percentage went up. Their efficiency went up. They led the league in scoring with a completely new receiving core with the exception of McCole Hardman and Travis Kelsey. And they also led the league. What did I say? They led the league in scoring. And uh, Mahomes still threw for 5,000 yards right. and was one of the, was the was top passer in football. Yeah. I don't know how much – I don't want Josh to try and be somebody else. I like no. where he's at. But I will say this, when in the beginning of the season when they scored 72 points in two games, they were not going down the field. They did it once in a while, but it was yeah. as an exception. Then when they hit the Pittsburgh game in week five. Yes. They started chucking they it down the field chucking with it. enormous success because Pittsburgh's defense was a train wreck. And I don't know whether point. they got drunk or whatever on that, but, man, they just never took their hands off the wheel again. I mean, they just kept putting their foot on the gas and trying for it. I um, but I'm with you. I, Josh is – if he does decide to spread it around and go quick and go short and be more efficient, the, the long ball will come back. I'd be, I would love to get into the quarterback room and listen to Ken Dorsey and, you know, Joe Brady and Josh and, and then, you know, Kate, Case Keenum last year. Lay, lay out the philosophy? The philosophy and the mindset Josh had about where he was throwing the football and why and all that, and that, whether there was a trend in Josh's mind. Yeah. So, listen, and, we got we to rip it off here. And just so it's clear, I'm not saying you have to go all in on the efficiency model just because it works for Kansas City, but I think there is some merit to leaning efficiency in an effort to stay on the field. And that's not that that was a problem for the Bills either. They led the league in third down efficiency. Right. But as we found out in our last Bills by the Numbers podcast, when we broke down third down on offense for the Bills, there were an awful lot of third and longs that were converted from a lot of Josh Allen magic that probably didn't even have to happen if the team adopted more of an efficient model on first and second down to lead to more third and manageables, if you will, or third and shorts. Instead, they had a lot more third and longs. Now, they still led the league in third down conversions because they were that good in offense, but that's a dicey game that you're playing uh, when you put yourself in third and long that often yeah. because while you may lead the league at the end of the season in third down conversions, there are going to be two or three games in there where those third and longs aren't converted, and it could cost you possessions, points, and maybe the game. You got to stay on the field at all costs offensively. That's how you win. Uh, if you're on the field with the ball, they can't beat you. Uh, they're not going to score any points. That's and I. There's a lot to be said for that. Uh, and I and I get it too. It sounds crazy, but it really is the mindset. I've heard it. I, I remember going through with quarterbacks that I played with, not necessarily Jim, but other guys who. It was almost too easy sometimes. Just take the dump off. Take the dump off. It's like you're not even part of the game right and it's hard for those guys like i'm not even helping here all i gotta do is yeah i feel and, like i'm settling yeah exactly uh i'm not even playing football this is a high school seven on seven I mean, and that mentality's out there and you, it's surprising because it's it's a killer mentality you can win games like that a ton and what it comes down to obviously is red zone offense yep. and you got to get it done 
Joe Burrow turned to that model this year. And I'm telling you what, man, it is frustrating to play defense against, and I think even the Bills, even given the now from this end of the season, the offensive line that we're talking about and the guys who we wish, you know, Gabe Davis and McKenzie, those guys didn't show up like we thought they would and they didn't use Shakir like we Even with that group, and I say even with that group, that group is good enough to do that. They, they are good enough to do that. And, but it takes a quarterback willing to just dunk it with, a, with an arm, with a cannon on it, you're asking him to shoot a BB gun. Yeah. It's a hard thing to ask. Mark on the tweet sheet says, Kair Elam. He was playing much better by the end of the year. I'm still excited about Cook and Shakir, though. Chris on the tweet sheet says, James Cook should get more possessions. I think he means carries. Or, I guess, time on Touches. the field. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully we get some interior off- offensive linemen early in the draft, so he should see a pretty good uptick. But honestly, hope Elam shows up as CB2 next season. I think I'd be shocked if Kyrie Elam wasn't CB2 next season. Shocked. I, I, I didn't I have a problem saying it at the end of the season. I thought Kyrie Elam turned a little bit of a corner. Absolutely. Um, and – Given what happened to him on draft, remember he's the you know put the playbook on the plane. I want you know I want to get right into it, uh, and everything we've heard about him since has not dampened my belief. He's got a really strong work ethic. Um, I believe guys who work really hard get better, and yeah, Elam's a, Elam is a great candidate to be a real force next year. Like a difference maker, like a Trey White kind of guy. I'm telling you, that Miami game, he impressed me. And not just because of the interception that he made in the game. But when I saw him, and I know one of our callers referenced it earlier, Tyreek Hills running an 18-yard dig, and he stayed with him every step of the way. And I can't remember if he broke up the pass or if the pass was off the mark because the coverage was so good. I can't remember the last time I saw anybody on any team run with Tyreek Hill on an 18-yard dig route. It's hard to take step a, for step the whole way. It takes a lot of confidence. I mean, that guy's a blazer. It takes a lot of confidence. Um, but that's what we saw. We saw flashes like that from him. Um, He's a first-round talent because he can run fast. He's big. He's strong. He's long-armed. He's an athlete. I mean, guys like Kyrie Elam stand out in a room full of guys who aren't athletes. I mean, they stand out for reasons. And that shows up when you get on the field, even with with a bunch of really great athletes. That's why you get picked in the first round of the NFL draft. You are faster, bigger, stronger, and more coordinated than – 99% 99% of the rest of the population. So when you play with confidence like he did, and as the season wore on, he got more and more reps in the defense and more and more film study, and it was the third time they had played the Dolphins, he probably feeling really confident about what he was looking at. Yeah. And it showed. Break time for us here. When we come back, some final thoughts on the tweet sheet. As we've been asking you all day today, which Bills rookie – We'll have the biggest jump from year one to year two this coming fall. Some final thoughts there next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
right, some final thoughts on the tweet sheet here in terms of uh, rookies that will have the biggest jump from year one to year two on the Bills roster. And Garvey says, dark horse, Terrell Bernard. Ray is in the same boat. Terrell Bernard, because he'll need to step into Edmonds' role when he signs elsewhere. And finally, Jack says, James Cook seems poised to take over the lead back role if he shows the coaches they can trust his hands and shows he can pick up blitzes. He should get many more reps. That said, I hope it's Shakir. Love his hands, his solid size, and his moves after the catch. He should be our slot man yeah, going like forward. Shakir is got great hands. He catches the ball well, and he he gets every yard coming to him. I mean, he's not he's not going to outrun a lot of people, but he is going to get open and be dependable, and, and that's what you want. You want a guy that can move the chains and and. You know, get a lot of targets for first downs. Period. It's not. It's not that hard to figure out how they how to use him. But to get a guy who just seems, when you watch him, so dependable, it's what a lot of Bills fans, I think, crave in an offense that was dependent a little bit on the big ball. You know, and the hero ball that we talk about, Josh Allen. It's nice to have a guy that's just, oh, dink it first down. Okay, now let's take another shot. Yeah, I think easy button yeah. completions in the passing game were. Uh, sorely absent from what they had been the previous two years with Beasley in the lineup, and hopefully Shakir can fill that void going into next season. That is it for a Tuesday edition of One Bills Sabres Live. Sabres tonight. Let's go. Steve's going to the Sabres game tonight. Say hi to him if you see him. We'll see you tomorrow at 1.